thank you so much for being with us this morning. Let me say a prayer to get us started. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, we trust you, our hope is in you. I pray that you would uh, be at work in our hearts this morning. I pray that we would um, have open hearts, open minds, that you might do a good work in and through. Help us to learn one more time how to live out our faith in you in our everyday life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I started reading the book Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller recently, and he talks through, it's interesting, he talks through that there are seven universal story points all humans respond to. He uses it to work with business owners and marketing to create a brand for their product and how to clarify what they offer and what they're selling. But I found it interesting because he comes from a storytelling background and he made the point that he's terrible to watch a movie with because he's gonna spoil it every single time. So he said there's seven points to every major story. Here they are. The first is there's a character who has a problem and meets a guide and gives them a plan, calls them to action that helps them avoid failure and in the, they end with success. So he says these seven story points show up in every great story. In every story, they have these three crucial questions they have to answer, like what does the hero want? And who or what is opposing the hero getting what they want? And what will the hero's life look like if they do or they don't get what they want? And that's where the tension kind of comes into the story. So if you think through popular stories, you can find these ideas woven in. The Lord of the Rings, Frodo has a problem. Gandalf is his guide. And if Frodo doesn't succeed, the dark forces will win, Middle-earth will be destroyed, and everything will be bad. In Star Wars, Luke has a problem. Obi-Wan and Yoda are his guides, and they're fighting the dark side for freedom. Um, if you read or watch The Hunger Games, Katniss has a problem, and Hamish, though he's flawed, is her guide, and they're fighting back against the capital for their very lives. All of these guides come along and help give a character a plan steps that they can take to uh, take action and win the day so they can save the world and good will win and evil will fail and I like it so much because we think through our own life we have problems that we face we have problems we're trying to solve and paths we're trying to take and when we look at our own stories our own lives the question is who's guiding us who's helping us solve these problems that we face and Who's helping define what success even looks like in our life? Today, I want to remind us one more time why we need the help of Jesus Christ in every one of these areas. Because in life, problems are inevitable. We're going to face problems, but we all get a say in how we solve the problem. How we respond to them is totally up to us. And Paul reminds us in Colossians that the resources we need, the help we need, we find these in Jesus Christ. He says this in Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says we all have something to do. No matter how old we are or where we are in life, we all have work to accomplish. Whether it's schoolwork or expectations from our families, it may be the work that we are accomplishing at our jobs or something we're working to build or something to grow. At every part of our life, we are doing something. Now, whether it's productive or not is a totally different question, but we all have responsibilities, expectations, something to accomplish. And Paul gives us this great framework to think about 
What are we all doing? He says, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's actually going to go on to say later in the chapter, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So I want to break this down into two sections first. The first one is the question, what are you doing? We're all of us doing something with our lives. Every day we wake up, we do something, we finish our day, and we begin again. Now, how we fill that time from beginning to end looks different for everybody. And if we aren't careful, our days and our weeks fill, the months go by, and we don't really have much to show for it. We just kind of waste our day or we fill the time until the next. So the question becomes, okay, what are we doing? How could we do life more on purpose? How could we do life with intent? This is who I am and this is what I do. This is who I hope to become. It starts with knowing who you are first. Once you know who you are, then you could go about making your days, planning your days on purpose. If Christ is our guide and Christ is the one directing us, then he's leading us and guiding us. And it doesn't matter if we're at home or school or a job. We know who we are at each one of these places. We're not waiting to respond to what other people do when we get there. We know who we are every place that we go. It doesn't matter what people around me do. It doesn't matter what happens that's out of my control. I still have a choice, a plan on who I'm going to be in every circumstance I face. I say I'm a girl who loves Jesus first. I'm working to follow him. Then I'm going to choose what that looks like in my life. And remember, Paul's given us some parameters, compassion over selfishness, kindness over losing our temper, honesty over lying, humility over pride, gentleness over harshness, patience over anger. I have choices that I can make that reflect who I am in Jesus Christ first. And I take these in every area of what I do. When we know who we are, we can start thinking more and more about what we do. What fills our days? Is it productive? Is it working for us, against us? Is it helping us in any way? We did something some years ago as a staff called the Productivity Project. And one of the big ideas it suggested was called the Rule of Three. And what it said was, at the start of each day and the start of each week, write down three main things that you want to accomplish that day and that week. It said by doing that, you're able to work more deliberately with intention because we can't do everything, right? I physically can't do everything, but I can choose the top three things that I need to get done and put all of my energy there. What are the three things that I have to get done today? What are the three things that I want to accomplish this week? Pick those first. And then it went on to say there's an impact challenge, and I thought this was fascinating said, first, make a list of everything that you're responsible for. So just sit down one day and write down everything that I'm responsible for in my life, right? At home, at work, with my friends, in my relationships, in my family, right? Everything that falls under my responsibility. said, second, after you've collected a list of everything you're responsible for, ask yourself, if you could just do one item on that list all day, every day, what item would you do? that would allow you to accomplish the most with the same amount of time? What item on the list is the most valuable to your boss, your family, yourself? And then finally, third, ask yourself, if you could only do two more items on that list all day, 
what second and third tasks let you accomplish the most in the same amount of time. Now, doing anything like that gives you intent. It gives you purpose on how you go about doing your days. I can look at what I'm doing and I can choose what's the most productive, what lets me accomplish the most, what's the most valuable to me. Have you ever just paid attention to your schedule before? Instead of just kind of going through by rote, by motion the days, map it out. Put the most important things on there first because we can't do everything, but we can pick first what we want to do, what matters the most. John Maxwell said, we can't choose whether we'll get any more time, but we can choose what we do with it. If you are intentional with what you have, then you will make the most of the time and the talent that God gives you. Your time is a gift. And when you think about your life, what do you wish you could spend more time on? When you think about your life, what do you regret spending too much time on, right? We can all think of time we've wasted and time we've lost. What do we regret spending too much time on? There's no better time than today to start thinking about what do I do and being intentional and doing it on purpose. What you accomplish with your life and your time will require living on purpose with intent and constantly looking at your life and saying, what am I doing? Because you have to look again and again and again. So if the first question is what I'm doing, the second question is, how are we doing it? If this is what I do, how am I doing it? Because Paul says, whatever we do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And I love this because every day I say things. Words come spilling out of my mouth. Every day I make choices. Some are really big, some are really small, some are mundane, some are very meaningful. Every day we take actions, we move in some direction. And the question becomes, how is Christ guiding me in these areas? Because I get to choose what I do every day. I get to choose the attitude that I'm bringing with me to what I do. I get to choose the kind of words that come out of my mouth, and I get to choose what directions my acts, actions take me and the life that I'm living. And Paul reminds us in Colossians 3, if we're doing life with Jesus Christ, just as he's ruling in our hearts and in our minds, that flows out of us in our words and our actions. Christ at work in my heart and in my mind shows up in my words and my actions. It doesn't matter what my job is, right? We all have different jobs that we do. I can show up on purpose with character and integrity. It doesn't matter who the people are that are around me. I can use my words for good and not for bad. I can use my words to encourage and uplift others, not to tear people down. If my purpose drives who I am, who I am drives what I do, which in turn always affects how I feel. So if we're asking ourselves, how am I doing the things that I do, we have to keep going back to purpose. What is your purpose? Nobody is here by accident. No, Nobody is here by mistake. You were created with value and purpose. But how easy is it to forget that? How easy is it to let life rob us of that knowledge, either because we've been told our whole life things that just leave us feeling worthless, or the busyness of life just crowds out any time or space to really think and reflect on who we are and what we want to do. Now, 
I don't know what voices you have bouncing around in your head. Maybe it was a teacher or a parent or a friend, even your own voice, and it made you feel not good enough that you were never going to amount to much or that you aren't like somebody else, right? Like, why can't you be like so-and-so? They always get it right. We have these voices that tell us you could never be smart enough or good enough or accomplish what you want to. Or we have voices that make us feel afraid to break out of a mold that's been handed down to us generation after generation. Every one of these voices can be counteracted with another voice that is greater, and it's the voice of Jesus Christ, the one who knows you, the one who loves you, the one who created you on purpose, says you can do more, you can be more, you can accomplish more because you are his. The voice of God reminds us, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Every time these other voices creep up into our mind, we have to push back with the voice of Christ, the voice of God saying, I'm his. I can do things through him. He's given me strength and purpose and peace to accomplish more. I love how Erwin McManus talks about this. He says, we each have one life, but this life has an eternal significance. What we do in this one life has infinite implications. Avoiding death is not the same as pursuing life. He says, time lies to us. It, it tricks us into believing that we can wait until tomorrow to do the thing we should do, have done yesterday. He said, urgency can be fueled by many things, passion, conviction, even compassion. But he said, often I find that urgency in its rawest form is fueled by desperation. The shift that happens when you refuse to remain or be defined by the average comes when you cross a line others would consider madness. He said, there comes a time and a place when you have to decide this is worth fighting for. This is where I stand. This is who I am. This is the life I have chosen. I will not run. I will not allow fear to move me from where I should be to where it wants me to live. He said, I would rather die facing the challenge that ex than exist running from it. He says, if you truly live before you die, your life will have a power that not even death can conquer. He says, may we all stand on the battlefield, charging fearlessly toward the enemy lines, knowing that when it's all said and done, we've struck our last arrow. See, we all live, but how we live is different for everybody. The life that we're living right now, how we're doing the things that we have to do, they can have incredible internal, eternal significance. They can have incredible infinite implications when we live on purpose in who Christ called us to be. Every problem that we have to face, we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. The power that we need, the strength that we need, the wisdom that we need come from him. If Christ is with us, what can't we do? If Christ is for us, what could possibly stand in the way? Knowing who I am, knowing who I've been created by affects everything that I do. Knowing my purpose allows me to make the most of this moment, this time, right now. It allows me to use the very best of who I am in this time and in these days well. It allows me to work in the kind of way that I bring the best of myself to all that I do. 
if I'm thinking about how I do the things that are in my life to do, I want to give us some parameters that are a challenge but are meaningful for all of us. The first one is this. Work hard. We, all of us, have the ability to work hard. I love how Paul says later in the chapter, work as if you're working for Christ, right? At the end of the day, the job that I do, whether it's for my boss or my family, they might not get so excited that they're like, wow, you're awesome, I appreciate you, you're the best. Nobody might say thank you for it. But at the end of the day, who I work for matters. And when I'm saying I work for Christ, it's Christ I'm trying to please, it changes my attitude in everything that I do. We, all of us, can work hard. I, I love the saying, well begun is half done. The hard part, hardest part of doing anything worthwhile is starting. The hardest part of exercising is starting. The hardest part of writing is sitting down and starting. The hardest part of being on time for work or school or wherever you have to be is getting up in the morning and starting. And there's just no substitute in life for hard work. There's no substitute for the discipline to begin. There's no magic formula except putting in the time. Show up, start. Stop making excuses why another time is better or why something else is more important than right now. Every day you have the ability to work hard. Every day you have the ability to show up and give the best of yourself. Every day you can do what needs to be done. And the very best things that you want to accomplish in this life require hard work. The most meaningful things that you want to happen, they don't happen by accident. They don't happen by doing nothing. There's no shortcut. There's no substitute. It requires all of us to work hard. If I want to change the outcome, then I change what I put in first. And by working hard, I'm saying I'm doing everything I can to accomplish the most with what I have. But then a second way that affects our work is working with gratitude. The difference that gratitude makes in how we approach life, it's just a game changer. Because what I'm grateful for changes the focus of my heart. When I think about Christ and how much he loves me, it humbles my heart and it stirs up gratitude inside of me. When I think about what Christ has done for me when he gave his life, it creates a gratitude in my spirit that makes me realize I've done nothing to earn what Christ has done for me. But because of what he has done, I'm a better girl and have a greater hope. Gratitude is a mindset. It's an attitude that we choose in how we do life. But living with gratitude requires practice because we are all of us human and grouchiness shows up and hard days shows up and people don't cooperate the way we want them to or do the things that we want to. So practicing gratitude means adjusting my mindset and my words. Here are some changes we have to make. If I wanna work with gratitude, if I wanna bring a grateful heart to all of the things I'm doing at home, at work, at school, and the things I'm trying to accomplish, the first thing I have to change is change have to to get to. This disrupts the flow of complaining. Have to is complaining. I have to do something leads to annoyance and frustration. Have to isn't something I want to do, but something I'm forced to do. Instead, get to changes the mindset that we take into the things that we really do have to do, but get to looks at it from a, a, a place of privilege. 
that I am allowed to have this chance to do something. I get to go to work every day instead of I have to go to work. When I say I have to go to work, I'm grouchy about it. I'm frustrated about it. It's something forced upon me, right? Instead of it is a privilege to have a job. I get to go to this job. I get to earn a paycheck that pays for the meaningful things that my family needs and my home needs and feeding, right? All of these things flow when we change. It's easy to complain. It's easy to dump how we feel. It's harder to change the mindset that says, this is a privilege. This is an absolute gift that I have this option in my life. Where do you need to change, have to, to get to in your words and in the mindset that you bring to what you have to do? Another thing we have to change is entitlement. We have to change entitlement to humility. I love how Dr. Townsend talks about this. He wrote a book called The Entitlement Cure, and he defines entitlement as the belief that I am exempt from responsibility and I am owed special treatment. Entitlement is I shouldn't have to do that either because I'm too good for it or I'm such a mess the same standard shouldn't, shouldn't be held to me and I deserve special treatment here. He says the cure to entitlement is called the hard way. Says the habit of doing what is best rather than what is comfortable, entitlement directs you to give the minimum, find the shortcut, but the hard way focuses on doing whatever is best to reach the goal, even if it's difficult, even if it's uncomfortable, it takes longer and requires more money. You know, one of the biggest myths that we believe is because it's hard, it's wrong. Sometimes because it's hard means it's actually right. It just requires hard work. But entitlement says it's too hard, I shouldn't have to, where humility says it is hard, but I am completely dependent on God. He can help me. I belong to him, not him to me. Where in your life has entitlement taken root and it's disrupted your ability to do the hard thing well? Where do you need to replace it with a spirit and a heart of humility that gives you the ability to try one more time, even when it's not easy? And then we got to change the idea of problem to possibility. So many times when we face problems, we're like, oh, this is it. This is impossible. It's too hard. I can't do it. The problem seems like the thing that's there to prevent us from doing the things that we want to do. But what if problems, every single one of them, were possibilities that we wouldn't have opportunities to do something different. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says, anyone can point out a problem, but leaders do something about it. He says, train your mind to remember, problems are opportunities in disguise. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. No one can stop you from reframing problems as potential opportunities. Every crisis creates unexpected problems. But every crisis also creates unexpected opportunities. Most people just see the problems, but the best leaders address the problems and seize the opportunities. I think this is so phenomenal because most of the time when we face problems, we're grouchy about the problems. We don't want these problems. We want other problems or easier problems or different problems. Instead, we get to frame the problem differently. What if this is an opportunity in disguise? What if this is forcing me to do something different, look at something different, change something that I never would have had to do if a problem wouldn't have crept up? There's always going to be reasons as to why your problems have forced you into a corner. He says, listen, apathy finds an excuse while passion finds a way. Every single problem that we face 
creates a unique opportunity to do something different. What if the problems aren't there to defeat us? The problems aren't there to destroy us or ruin us, but to teach us something, to show us something that help us do life in new ways that are better than we ever would have done before. See, when we change our hearts and our mindsets, our words and actions flow from that. We can work hard and work with grateful hearts. When we show up every day with a spirit that's willing to work hard and look at things with gratitude, it's going to affect the work that we do. It's going to affect the people who are around us. If the people around you are used to hearing you complain and they start hearing you say grateful things, it's going to disrupt the regular flow. No matter who you are or what you do, right here and right now, you have a place that can make a difference. You have a purpose. You have an incredible Christ to guide you in all that you do, and you have a path forward to success. Doing life with Christ, it shows up in our hearts and our minds. And as our hearts and minds are focused on him, it flows out of us in what we do and what we say. And if I want to live a life of faith, it's not about being perfect all of the time or saying the right things all of the time. It's not about being able to quote the right things at the right time in the right way. It's showing up with a heart and a mind that's being guided by Jesus Christ. And the more Christ is at work in my heart, in my mind, the more it shows up in who I am and what I do every single day. I want to end with one more idea, and it comes from Dr. Henry Cloud. He says, to bury your dreams means to be unaware of them or to be in some sort of conflict with them. When you bury them, they get stagnant, they get sick, and they begin to die. He said, but your heart is an organ designed to have life flowing through it. Your mind is like that as well, as is your soul. They're not meant to be stagnant. A lot of us have let our hearts and our minds and our souls go stagnant. We've forgotten the dreams, the calls, the excitement, the energy of what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. Here are his suggestions. He says, listen to what bugs you. It might be a message. He says, don't let negative feelings just sit there. Do something about them. Don't let long-term wishes and dreams go ignored. Find out what they mean. Listen to your symptoms. They might be telling you that something is missing that you need to resolve in appropriate ways. He said, face the fears and the obstacles that have caused you to bury your treasures. Don't confuse envy with desire. You may be envious of someone else's life because you've lost touch with your own. He said, do all of these things in the context of values and a community of people who are committed to guarding your heart. And then finally, he says, ask God to help you find your heart, mind, and soul and the treasures he's placed there for you. Listen to how powerful this is. He says, one of the worst things you can do is die with potential. Die with failures before you die with potential. See, every one of us has a unique potential right where we are right now to do something meaningful. You may do something that has infinite, infinite implications for generations to come. You might do something that changes one person's life. And because of that changed life, it's going to ripple out in ways that you don't know. The worst thing we can do is waste the potential that our incredible God has given us. Your life is valuable. Use all of the time, all of the talent, all of the potential that God has given you to work for good. In your family, in your community, at work, here in the church, all of us can work to accomplish good. 
our faith in Jesus Christ guides us. The love of Jesus Christ shows up in how we treat one another. His peace fills our hearts. We become champions of peace in our homes, in our family, and in the world. We bring the best of us to what we do day after day after day, and we give all that we have to live this precious, wonderful life that God has given us. If you're wondering how to be a person who has faith and to do life, this is the framework. We can live incredibly accomplished, wonderful, purposeful life when Christ comes first and guides us in all that we do. Can I please just remind you, encourage you, there is a God who loves you and is for you. He's given you all that you need right now to accomplish an incredibly good work. Ask yourself this week, what are you doing? How could you bring a working, hard-working attitude and a grateful heart to what you do? And let Christ work through you in meaningful ways in these areas. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen our minds, give us a faith in you that flows out of us in all that we do. I pray, Father, that when we think about our lives and what we would do, we would think of it in the kind of way that starts with who you are and who you've created us to be. I pray, Father, that you would be a part of our everyday life, whether we're at home or work or school or out and about, that you would direct us and guide us in the way that we should go. I pray, Father, that we would be the kind of men and women you've created us to be who live with a fierce faith in you in all that we do. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.